Let's open our Bibles this morning, first of all, to the book of Acts, chapter 17. The, the book of Acts, chapter 17. This is my first opportunity to address you in chapel, and as the director of student discipleship, I want to say that there is nothing more important in discipleship than submission to the Word of God. And so I want to just uh, do what I believe is important to do, and that is to encourage you and exhort you that when you come to chapel, that you would be engaging your hearts and minds with the truth that is being revealed here. Because it is God's holy word, and it is inspired, and it is profitable, and no matter who it is that is sharing it, you ought to pay attention because you love God and you love his word. And can I just remind you that it is totally appropriate for you to utilize a device to, to open your Bible, but it is totally inappropriate to use your device for anything other than chapel, reading your Bible, taking notes. And, it, and so I just encourage you to make sure that you put away those distractions. You know, it is wonderful on our devices. There's, a, there's like a do not disturb feature. Maybe you've used that with other friends. You don't want them to bother you. Um, there, there is actually, of course, a vibrate uh, feature. You can make sure it doesn't ring or ding or anything like that. But I just want to encourage you in, in all of our chapels, this is really important because what we're doing in here is is of, of spiritual significance and really growth significance for your life. And so I encourage you to uh, make sure that that is, uh, that is not a distraction during chapel. This is really one of the most important parts of every day. And as uh, we have our small groups then on Wednesday and then some of our assemblies and in, in, in our uh, student life workshops and, uh, and then your society meetings, and pretty much this hour, every day, there's something spiritual going on. There's something that is shaping our lives. So I just encourage you to make sure you understand that that is uh, how you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that you follow his word. And so today we're looking at the city of Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, known as the mother of all Macedonia, was located at the intersection of two major Roman roads. One was leading from Italy eastward, called the Ignatian Way, and the other from the Danube River to the Aegean Sea. Thus, this city became a hub of political and commercial activity. Approximately 200,000 people were living in the city of Thessalonica at the time of the writing of these two epistles that Paul has written for us. The modern city of Thessalonica now holds about one million people. It is the second most significant city in uh, the country of, of Greece. And so when we, when we study the books of First and Second Thessalonians, of course, we're starting with the, this year with the book of First Thessalonians. Both of these books really have very similar themes and are sent to the same group of people. The, these people who were converted under the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. Here is a picture of Paul's second missionary journey. And what we know is that Paul had traveling with him two companions that are listed for us in the first three verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you see that at the bottom of the screen it says that this would, this would be represented in the, in the book of Acts chapter 16 verses, verse 1 through chapter 18 verse 22. On Paul's second missionary journey, he comes to the city 
of Thessalonica. You see the arrow pointed to that, and this is why we've turned in our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Notice right in the middle of his, his second missionary journey. Notice what the Bible says here in Acts chapter 17. This is a real-life historic event done by uh, uh, missionaries of church history. Notice what the Bible says about what happened when they arrived at Thessalonica, this, this town, this ancient town with approximately 200,000 people. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. You see both of those cities just to the west of Thessalonica. And Paul, verse 2 says, As his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. In other words, he's preaching the clear salvation, clear gospel message. And as in many cases where Paul would travel, the, the crowd responded in two different significant ways. Verse four, and some of them believed. Have you believed? I hope you have. Have you been converted when you, hear the God, when you have heard the gospel? And some of them believed and, and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. I think the idea there is a great multitude believed and of the chief women, not a few. Some of the women that were involved in maybe, uh, maybe wealthy women of the community believed as well. Notice verse five. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Jason was one of the Jews that was converted there in Thessalonica. And they sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. We, we could continue reading the story, the historic events that Luke writes for us in the book of Acts, but for, for sake of time, we will stop at verse six. Now, what you'll notice in verse six, six is, is the word ruler. And this is an interesting uh, truth, uh, interesting fact that I found as I was studying this text of scripture in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, is that actually in the British Museum over in London, England, there is a tablet with an inscription on it that was found in the ancient city of Thessalonica. And from what I understand, that this is, this is an inscription that includes a word that is only used a couple other times in ancient Greek literature. And those two times are in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. It's the word rulers. It is the Greek word rulers there that is on this inscription. Sometimes we wonder, is the Bible really historically accurate? Well, here's an archaeological find and, and evidence for us and gives confirmation to the historic facts that, that Luke is describing in the book of Acts. It's a kind of a neat little tidbit of information to help us see uh, the reliability and the sufficiency of what we are studying in the book of First Thessalonians. All right, so take your Bibles now and turn over to the book of First Thessalonians, and let's look at chapter 1, First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul wrote the letters 
of Thessalonians. We're talking on this slide of both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Paul wrote these in about 50 to 51 AD when they were expelled from the city of Thessalonica, as we just read in Acts chapter 17, they make their way to Berea where they were more noble. They, they surveyed the scriptures to see if it was so. You may remember that in Acts chapter 17. The Thessalonian mob actually found out that they were in Berea and they expelled them also out of Berea. This was a, a significant mob of people that were angry about these men who were turning the world upside down. And so they depart from Berea and they go to Athens, as we saw on the map. And then Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica later on to see how the church, the new converts were doing. And uh, and eventually Paul finds himself in Corinth on his second missionary journey. Most Bible historians and, and teachers believe that Paul wrote both books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians from the city of Corinth. What is the theme or what, what is the theme of both of these books really combined? God's plan for the end of history with exhortations for Christians as they wait. I want you to just quickly do a survey with me of these references. Look at chapter one, verse 10. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Notice chapter two, verse 19. We just wanna quickly notice these and, and maybe jot down those references. Chapter two, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Notice he's talking about the coming of the Lord. And as I referenced earlier before we sang the song, this is most likely a reference to the entirety of the eschatological future events that will occur in the future. Notice chapter three, verse 13. Chapter three, verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father, notice this, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then, of course, we're very familiar with chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, a beautiful text starting in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that, that we which are alive and remain are the coming of the Lord. Notice the coming of the Lord again. Shall, prevent, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. This is where we get the idea of a rapture. We're caught up. That's what the idea, the word rapture means. We're caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And then notice chapter five, verse one. I just think it's important that you see that this is the clear theme of first and second Thessalonians. We're just looking at the first book, chapter five, verse one. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, another reference to the future events that are coming, the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Notice verse five, ye are, of the, ye are children of the light and, and, and not children, and you are, you are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. We could go on. 
but, there, but it is a clear theme that we see in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now go back to chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 because in just a moment we will read verses 1 through 3, which will be the text for the rest of our time together. But notice the two ideas that are in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. This is neat. This is great, brings great encouragement and comfort to our hearts. The first book of Thessalonians deals with the fear that the people had concerning the fact of Christians dying. If a Christian dies, will they be left or will they participate in the coming of the Lord? And so there's a little nuanced difference between first and second Thessalonians. The second book deals with the false idea that Christ had already come. And so there's an emphasis on certain events that must occur, occur before the coming of the Lord. And yet what we see is that the ultimate theme is that God has a plan for the end of history. And that as we watch and wait, we can truly say, come quickly, Lord, make all things new. Redeem the church, your bride. So as we're looking today at the first three verses, uh, we, are, we are entering into the, the subject strengthened in hope and remembering that that theme goes across the entire book of first Thessalonians and of course the hope is the future resurrection the future coming of the Lord and he could come at any moment and we need to be strengthened by that truth as we study the book of first Thessalonians specifically in verses one through three we want to look at this subject cooperation cultivates commitment first Thessalonians one verses one through three Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, is, is the, this is the Latin name for Silas. Paul and Silas and Timothy, Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I'm gonna take a little bit of a, maybe a unique application angle on these first three verses. And this is what I'd like to say from these three verses. And that is that sincere cooperation in the gospel will cultivate serious commitment to the gospel. And I think what we see in these first three verses is the opening of a unique epistle in a unique way to show us that there was a lot of working together going on. And we saw that in Acts chapter 17 already. So what's the question we wanna answer with this message this morning? How can we make sincere cooperation a priority? That's what we wanna answer. And there are four factors that we wanna look at in these uh, these three verses. And it's interesting that often we hear a lot about separation, but we don't hear a lot about cooperation. And it is important that we hear about separation from the world, from sin, from false teachers, from, uh, from disobedient brothers. And that is all taught in the scripture. But also we need to hear a lot about cooperating together. There, there is a goal of having teamwork. And the more we band together as believers, the more we cooperate together as believers, the greater commitment we have to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the message today is really about getting along with one another, cooperating with one another when we can. There are things that divide, but there should be lots of things that unite. And so as we look at that, I thought about a few quotes that, that even 
uh, people in our world understand that, that teamwork makes a difference. Uh, this is Helen Keller. She said, alone, we can do so little, but together we can do so much. It's true. We're living in an individualistic society. The more we band together, the more we can do. Henry Ford said, coming together is a beginning. Staying together is progress. And working together is success. Okay, so the emphasis, and we're going to see this in this text, the emphasis is people that were banding together for the good of the gospel. And I'd like to show you that this morning in, in these verses. Nothing truly valuable, Albert Einstein said, nothing truly valuable can be achieved except by the unselfish cooperation of many individuals. And then I, of course, love sports and teamwork always has to be a part of sports. So I had to get my favorite basketball player in here. Talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. And then I'm in the state of Wisconsin and the great coach Vince Lombardi, right? from the Green Bay Packers said, the achievements of an organization are the results of the combined effort of each individual. You can't do this alone. And as we look and long for the, and wait for the coming of the Lord, we need to band together. We need to, be, uh, we need to be soldiers on a mission. We need to be joining together as servants of the Lord. And you know the scripture teaches us this as well. Psalm 133 verse one, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. And so the goal today is that we would learn that sincere cooperation in the gospel will cultivate a greater commitment to the gospel. Not only for you, but for those you're cooperating with. We need this kind of cooperation and we need this kind of commitment to the gospel even here in our student body. So let's notice these four factors, these four factors. Notice, first of all, the illustration of cooperation. There is something unique about First and Second Thessalonians. These are the only books where actually three people are listed as being a part of the writing or the passing on of the epistle. Paul Silas and Timotheus. And so what we see are three strong personalities, three unique individuals banding together for the work of the gospel. All right, so we have Paul, who was the converted persecutor of believers, who was saved on the road to Damascus. We have Silas, who was a member and even a leader and a colleague of Paul, a leader in the Jerusalem church. We read about him several times in the book of Acts as, as somebody that was respected, somebody that was entrusted to even go with Paul and to represent the Jerusalem council. And then, of course, we have Timothy, who was picked up in Lystra and had such a great testimony. He was the younger uh, preacher boy. He was the younger disciple, the chief disciple of the apostle Paul. And specifically in the books of First and Second Thessalonians, we have something very unusual taking place. And that is that almost all of the pronouns that are used in the book of First and Second Thessalonians are plural. First person plural. We, us, or our. I think there is a lesson that can be learned that Paul, though he could have written in first person singular the entire book, there are only actually three passages where he uses a first person singular 
pronouns to represent his own mission. So what we, can, what we can gather by this is not only were they all involved in traveling to Thessalonica, not only were they all involved in sharing the gospel and, and seeing people converted in Thessalonica, but most likely all three of them were also involved somehow in getting this letter to the Thessalonian believers. And this is an incredible illustration of how we need to be working together as believers. And two are better than one, and three is even better than two, okay? So you can work together with others. I want to encourage you to, to, to notice this illustration and put, put some cooperation into your life. Cooperate with people around you. Work together with those that you can work with. This is the illustration that we see in these three verses. Let's notice number two, the grounds of this cooperation. I want to be very clear. What we are talking about today is not humanistic, self-motivated, as we saw in some of those secular quotes where we just understand that pragmatically nothing good gets done if we don't work together with other people. That is true, but there's something really deep and spiritual that all of us should band together about, all of us should cooperate with. And this is seen in several of these Uh, several of these statements that we see in these first three verses. And I want you to see that the grounds of our cooperation are the fact that we are a part of God's church, and specifically the Thessalonians had a local body of believers. This was their church. Notice it says that, unto the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of believers of the Thessalonians, there is something unique about their church. Notice it says it is in God. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, interesting that all three of these statements show us the deity of Jesus Christ. They show us the equality of God and the Son, but they also show us that the reason why we're working together is not because just we get along with people. The reason we're working together is because there's something unique going on through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a unique identity and we are in Christ. We are in God the Father. The second phrase we see is that it is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically, this is linked up with this, uh, this blessing. And, and a lot of the letters would begin with uh, a blessing like this. Grace be unto you and peace. And, and grace and peace do represent, really encapsulate the power of the gospel. We are saved by grace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so We can band together because all of us as children of God, all of us in the church, we are blessed. We are blessed of God. And the person you are sitting next to, if they are a child of God, has the same blessing. It is a unique blessing. It is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of verse 3, we see that the, the church has a unique purpose. And we have a unique purpose. And that is that we are doing what we're doing in the sight of in our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the sight of God and our Father. Don't you see that there's something really deep that binds us together as believers? And the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we understand how we fit into his assembly, his church, and even our local church, the more we recognize it's really not about us. It's about God, and it's about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have a unique identity, a unique blessing and a unique purpose. And this is what is the foundation for us working together with very diverse people. 
with diverse personalities and talents. It's a good thing not, that not everybody in the church is just like me or just like you. And we, we come to God's assembly, we come to his church and we work together side by side and the more we cooperate together in the gospel, the more commitment to the gospel it generates. And that's exactly what happened in Thessalonica. As these, uh, these laborers, these missionaries were joining together and passing through and, and the people received Jesus Christ, they, they unified together and you don't see them placing themselves on different levels. Even Paul as an apostle doesn't even list that here in verses one through three. And so there's a lot of cooperation that is going on. Notice number three, the nature of cooperation. The nature of cooperation. And this is, I think, a very important application we need to see. How can we work together with other believers? How can we cultivate this cooperation for the good of the gospel? I think there are three ways that we see that here in this text. Obviously, we see there's continual gratitude. Verse two, we give thanks. We give thanks to God always for you. You see a couple other references, several other references showing the kind of spirit that the leadership, that Paul and Silas and Timothy, that they had towards the followers, that they had towards their people in Thessalonica, that they had seen come to Christ. And this is the kind of spirit we need. We need an attitude of gratitude. And in chapter 5, verse 18, he tells us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You know what? The way to cooperate with people is to stop criticizing and complaining and start thanking them and start appreciating them. And you see this in all of Paul's epistles, a word of thanksgiving. So there should be some gratitude so that we can work together with other people. Secondly, there's persistent prayer. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all. This phrase, making mention of you, is used in the New Testament multiple times and it is always linked to the passionate, sincere, personal prayers of the apostles and the leadership, making mention of you in our prayers. You know how we can really band together? You know how we can cooperate together? We pray for one another. We pray for one another. Who is it that you're praying for? Who's on your list? Is it somebody that's in your room? It is, is it somebody, uh, a student that you've met here? Is it, is it somebody that's going through a tough time? Who are you praying for? And of course, we know in chapter 5, verse 17, we're told, pray without what? Ceasing. And so these are, these are apostles and leaders who were practicing what they were preaching. They were giving thanks and commanding to give thanks. They were praying for the people and telling them to pray without ceasing. And then I think number three, you see a genuine appreciation. Remembering without ceasing. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's important that we acknowledge what we are noticing. We acknowledge what we see in other people. And it really helps to band us together when you find the, the attitude of gratitude, the persistent prayer, the recognition of the good things that God is doing. It helps us to cooperate. And as we cooperate together, it cultivates greater commitment. Cooperation in the gospel will cultivate a greater commitment to the gospel. And so this is the nature of cooperation, which means if you're a complaining, selfish, lacking in prayer, wanting everyone to recognize you, you're probably not cooperating with many people. 
the nature of cooperation. And then finally, the fruit, the fruit of cooperation. And this is where we see this trilogy of words, faith, love, and hope, that is used often in the New Testament to represent the, the, really the foundation of Christian character. I wish we had time to do a study on that. But just to say that there is an intentional emphasis on these three words, which, which mean that the church was immediately already seeing these values and these virtues and these character qualities of a genuine Christian coming out of their life. And, and really, as a part of the cooperation of Paul and Silas and Timothy, as a part of the cooperation with Jason, we saw in, in, in Acts chapter 17, and, and all the people who, who even helped them get out of the city at night, that everybody working together, what the church was experiencing though they were suffering, though they were persecuted, what they were experiencing was genuine, a genuine work of God. And that is the fruit of cooperation in in the gospel. The work produced faith, produced by faith. This is the first fruit that we see. Work, labor in the ministry that was being produced by their faith in Jesus Christ. Labor that was promoted by their love for Jesus Christ. This is found in verse three, labor of love, work of faith, and then their endurance, which was inspired by hope. And I think that again, to remind you that the word hope here in the context of 1 Thessalonians is ultimately the future resurrection, the rapture and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were patient and hopeful and could be because they were watching cooperating people with the power of the gospel who were in Christ, who were, who were promoting Christ and his gospel, who had a unique identity, a unique purpose, and they were watching that happen, and it generated this excitement. And as we continue to study the book of First Thessalonians, you're going to see that these, these people were some special people. And though they had, not, they had just barely begun with the church plant, we don't know exactly how much time passed between uh, the passing of Paul and Silas and Timothy planning the church or seeing the converts and when they receive this letter. But, but most likely, it was maybe only a year or two or less, maybe just a few, even a few months. We don't have a particular timing on that. But what we know is that the church was a fledgling church and it was already yielding itself to the Lord. It was already committed to the gospel. And I think a part of that was the unique relationship they had with Men of God who were cooperating together and cooperating with them. So here's the primary application. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of our salvation. And how does that happen? How can you be working in love and uh, laboring in love, working by faith and enduring by hope? I think that part of Part of the energy that helps us to do that is that you're not alone. You're not alone. We're all in this together. So we must band together as believers, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you today? Don't be a selfish, individualistic, lone ranger in your Christianity. You need to learn how to cooperate and work alongside other people for the good of the gospel. And the more you cooperate in the gospel, the more commitment will be cultivated to the gospel. And that's what we want. 
We want to send you away as warriors for the truth, warriors for the gospel. And as you cooperate together, even with students here, faculty here, pastors in your local churches, as you work together side by side for the good of the ministry, I'm telling you that commitment is going to rise. And you could be just like these people in the city of Thessalonica, strengthened in hope. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's ask the Lord to do this for us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to recognize where we are divisive, where we are self-focused, where we have lost this sincere unity, sincere cooperation with other people. God, I pray that we would see the example of a great man of God, Paul, his colleague Silas, and his disciple Timothy, who with age difference and leadership difference and personality difference, they banded together for a common cause. And really we are reading from the book of 1 Thessalonians as a result of men of God and people of God who cooperated in the work of the gospel. And I pray that as we cooperate together in the work of the gospel, you would cultivate a greater commitment in our lives that we will be strengthened in hope and that you, Lord Jesus, would truly come quickly. Come even today, if it be your will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.